Amen. We're starting a new series today called Awaken the Adventure. Awaken the Adventure. Do I got any adventure people in here? Who loves an adventure? Any adventurous type of people? Come on, yeah. All right. Um, everybody who raised their hand, you, you're an adventure. And then those that are not sure, you're like, uh, are you an adventure? Yeah, me too. Okay, I'm an adventure. We love adventures. I believe that God's got an adventure on the inside of all of us. I believe that we, he's called us to an adventure with him. Anybody that loves Jesus and serves Jesus and is boring, they don't know Jesus. Come on, how many know Jesus is always calling us onto an adventure? I loved adventures as a young kid. I loved always going into adventures. Come on, how many remember back in the days when you used to be able to play outside? <laughs> how many, when you, we used to play in the woods. Now, for those that are kids in here, woods are where you've got a bunch of trees. I know you don't see those. Um, but we used to be able to play in the woods and come, how, many, how many of you had the rule? When, when did you have to be home? What? When the street lights come on, right? That's how, that's how, that's how you know if the street lights are on and you're not home, daddy's tearing you up. You better get home. When the, as soon as the street lights come home, you better be in, the, in your house. Nowadays, kids, are technology and stuff. Come on, we didn't barely even have phones back in the day. We had phones with cords. Come on, how many men are phone with a cord? Y'all remember that? Go to Kmart, you got to buy that 100-foot-long cord so you can walk all around the house, everywhere with that cord. Y'all remember those days? We're not even talking about internet. We're talking about, I just had a phone. Come on, I remember beepers. Okay, anyways, we're going to go to a lo- whole nother, nother way. I loved adventures. I loved adventures. I loved, uh, we had a go-kart growing up. Just loved going on, using our imagination, doing things. This, this year for Christmas, I told Lindsay, you know, we always try to figure out what we're going to buy our boys for Christmas. You know, what are things that they need? What are things that they would really want, that they would play with? And I told her, I said, I got the perfect idea. I know what we're going to get them. We are going to get them. I'm going to build them a tree house. She's like, you? <laughs> I'm going to get Shane to build them. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to get somebody in the church, the guy who really loves me, to help me build. And I said, but you know what? Before we build the, build, the tree house, which, by the way, the tree house isn't built yet. Um, I said, I'm going to put a zip line on it. She's like, babe, they won't run. I said, yes, they will. They will love that. And they do. They ride it often. I ride it every day. Um, come on, I mean, no, I didn't build the zip line for them. Y'all with me? I built it for me. <laughs> we got a 200-foot zip line in our backyard. Uh, it, was, it was at about nine feet, and it was just like, zzzz. and she's like, oh, look, they like it. That's nice and safe. I was like, uh-uh. We went 16 feet up high. I said, now nah, this is a zip line. <laughs> I love it. I love adventure. I love bringing my boys on adventures. I want to be an adventurous type of guy. Uh, that's why I love having boys. Um, but this is, all of us are called an adventure, whether you're a guy or a girl. We've, we've all been called to an adventure. And serving Jesus is an adventure. But if you're not careful, you can get into the rut of church attendance and going and sitting and think that this is all that Christianity is, is just going to church, sitting in a seat, listening to somebody preach, singing a couple of songs, and then going home. And if that is the sum total of your Christianity, you serve a boring Christianity. Christianity, God never died on the cross so we could sit in seats. Come on, somebody. God died on the cross so we could live passionately for him in everything that we do. At work, at home, in our families, in church. And he's called us on this adventure. And so over the next three or four weeks, I, as your pastor, want to make you extremely uncomfortable. Y'all ready? <laughs> we, I, because I believe that your comfort and your calling don't go hand in hand. 
I believe if you're going to pursue the calling, Pastor Bubba really talked about that last week, which really sparked a lot of this in me. If you're going to pursue the call of God on your life, you're going to have to leave comfort. You're going to have to step into a place that maybe is extremely uncomfortable. And so we're going to get out of our comfort zones. We're going to take a step of faith and we're going to look at the call of God in this great adventure. All right. So go to Nehemiah chapter one. We're going to look at the story of Nehemiah. Let me give you the backstory of Nehemiah just real quick. The people of God uh, had got freed out of Egypt. They were on their own. They eventually got into the promised land. Great things were going on. God told them, listen, you're my people. I'm your God. You're going to worship me. Um, Just do what I say. Everything will be good. Well, unfortunately, they did not do what God said. They eventually were worshiping other gods. They, they didn't obey. And so God allowed the Babylonians to come in, conquer the city, destroy all of Jerusalem, and then took all of the children of Israel captive. Took them all captive. Here we are in the book of Nehemiah. 140 years later, um, there is now a small group of people that have been released from the Babylonians to go back to Jerusalem to begin to look at how can they repair their city. They go back to the city. They see everything that goes the, that that is that that the situation is. And they come to where Nehemiah is. Nehemiah at this time is a cupbearer for the king of Persia, 800 miles away from Jerusalem. And Nehemiah uh, finds some of his buddies. And he asks them a question. So Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 2, this is where we're caught up. And this is what it says. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men. So he's, he's got his brother, part of his family, some other guys, some of his friends who had just arrived from Judah, which is um, in Jerusalem. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. So he asked, hey man, how's my city and how's my people? That's what he asked. That's what Nehemiah asked. Two questions he asked. Man, how's my people and how's my city doing? Here's the report that they give back. So they say, they said to me, these things are not going well for those who have returned to the province of Judah. They are in, what's those two words? Great trouble. They're in great trouble and disgrace. And the wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Look what it says after this. So he hears this and it says, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. See, Nehemiah had known about these walls for 140 years. People had passed by it. He'd heard about it before. But there was something that happened in this moment that he didn't just get new information. He got new revelation. It's what I would like to call a divine burden. A divine burden is something when you hear about something or you see something and then all of a sudden something inside of you says, somebody's got to do something. Somebody's got to do something. You ever had any moments like that where you look at a situation, you say, come on, y'all been to Walmart, got a kid going crazy and you're like, somebody got to do something. I'm going to, I'm going to do something. (laughs) You got, but there's this thing that rises up inside of you. Maybe you see injustice with women. Maybe you see a situation that's gone on. Maybe, maybe you got freed from alcoholism or drug addiction and you come out of that and then you go back into your city or into your family and you see everybody else is still struggling with it and you're going, somebody's got to help these people. I remember what that was like. I remember what I was like. This is what we do. We have uh, friends of ours that right now are, are trying to, they're going through the process of adopting a child from China to foster a child out of China because they were hurt. They heard all the stuff that was happening to children in China. So they said, somebody's got to do something. How many know when we say somebody's got to do something, what we really mean is you need to do something. 
right? It's, I don't know. I don't want it. You're going to do something and I'll watch you and I'll say, good job. But the truth is, is that God puts these divine burdens inside of us that somebody's got to just do something, something. This isn't right. Somebody's got to step in and, and make a difference. This is what really a lot of what our church has been all about is somebody's got to step in and do something. That's how we got into the schools, by the way. We're in almost all of the schools here, Jennings Elementary, Jennings High, Ward. I, I was at Lake Arthur Elementary this past Friday speaking to all the faculty there. And all of that came from us 17 years ago starting the church. Pastor Bubba sitting down with me going, we got to get in the schools because if we get in the schools, that's where the new future leaders are. If we can reach those kids, we're going to reach our city. So we started in those places, beginning to reach into our schools. Come on, how many of you know when the flood hit, the response was, somebody's got to do something. Somebody's got to do something. That's, that's really been the response of our church. That's been the heartbeat of our church from the beginning, any type of catastrophe. That's when Hurricane Rita and Katrina and all that stuff came through. We said, somebody's got to do something. Come on, let's us, let us be the one that does something. Come on, let's, let's stop. Let's not have church. Let's go be the church. Come on, how many, how many, how many are glad to be a part of a church that says, we got to do something. We're going to do something. We're going to sit by. Come on. This is what it is. This is what, we, this is what we tackle. Nehemiah was the least likely guy to build the wall, by the way. Think about this. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. And God gave him a burden to go rebuild a wall. I would be thinking, I ain't no contractor. Like, I don't touch bricks. Like, these are soft hands. You see this? I work with wine and food. I don't touch bricks. That's not... But yet, notice... Have you noticed that God doesn't call the qualified? He just qualifies those he calls. That's why he calls David. When he calls David through Samuel, Samuel shows up to Jesse's house and says, Hey, I'm here to anoint the next king, and it's one of your sons. So he brings out all of his boys. And then Samuel looks at all of them and says, Do you have another son? And Jesse's like, Oh, yeah, I do have another son. That's right. He's David. Gets David from the sheep. David shows up. He's all scrawny and stuff. And he's like, That's the man. And Samuel, Jesse was like, Are you sure? <laughs> The people that we overlook to think that they can't do anything great, God uses those people. God loves using people that look like they, there's no way that those people can do that. This is what he specializes in. He loves using people that don't seem to be qualified. Nehemiah was not qualified for this job. God did not pick Nehemiah because he was an incredible carpenter, an incredible leader. He was a cupbearer. But there was something on him that he wanted to do. So here's the question that I want us to ask, and we're going we're to answer it with three, three answers. And this is, what do you do when God awakens the adventure inside of you and gives you a God-sized burden? He gives you a burden for something. By the way, listen, you don't get a burden. God gives you a burden. You don't go get it. God gives it. He puts it on you, just like he did for Nehemiah. So here's the first thing that you do. This is our first response. You ready? First thing is you take responsibility. Nehemiah 1, verse 5 and 6. So right after he kneels down and gets all this news, look, at, look what happens to Nehemiah. Look what he says. He says, then I said, so the very first thing that happens when God shows him, this is what's broken down. Your city's broken down. Your people are in great trouble. And Nehemiah goes, somebody got to do something. The first thing that Nehemiah does is he goes to God. God, what are we going to do here? He says, oh, Lord, God of heaven and great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer and look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned. 
and against you. Now listen, yes, even. Now watch how he takes something so big, but then he brings it down even to personal. We've sinned. Our people have sinned. You told us not to worship any other gods. You told us to love you. We didn't do that. I understand, God. You gave us over to the Babylonians because we disobeyed you. But even my own family did that, and I did that. I've sinned. And we have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant, Moses. The very beginning of Nehemiah, realizing that God wants to bring him on a new adventure, God giving him a burden to go rebuild these walls and help his city, the first thing he does is he takes responsibility. Notice this, he doesn't, he doesn't give blame, he takes responsibility. And if you're going to begin to go on the adventure I believe God's called you on for your family, for yourself, for this city, so we've got to start by taking responsibility. Where are you now? He, he could have given blame to all those people. Let me, let me ask you this. Did, did, did Nehemiah, is he the one that tore down the walls? No. It was the sins of other people. But he brought himself into that moment and says, you know what? There's something I've got to do. I've got to step into this. So he takes responsibility. So let me give you four areas that we've got to take responsibility. If you're going to be a people that take responsibility, here's, here's your four. First one is yourself. You've got to take responsibility for yourself. We are the sum total of the choices and the decisions that we make every day. You and I. Where you Listen, no one has made more misery in your life than you have. Can I get a better amen on that one? All right, listen. Don't nudge your spouse. He didn't cause that misery. You've, you've caused more misery in your life than anybody else has. No one's caused you more pain in your life than you have. Nobody has lied to you more than you have. So we've got to begin by taking responsibility as to where are we? Where am I? Where is my, how's my relationship with God? How's my relationship with God? I mean, with my spouse. How's my relationship with my kids? Where, where, I got to take responsibility for where I am. I was telling our guys yesterday at our herd gathering, which by the way, any men that are in here, you need to be in a herd gathering. And we're just launched a fourth one on Friday mornings at six. Just want to let you all know that. So if you want to get in one, Got them on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Saturdays now. Um, that's a little plug there. But I was telling all of our guys yesterday at our herd gathering, I said, you know what, the thing, I'm a 35-year-old pastor, and, and I, so I counsel a lot of people in a, a wide range of ages. But one of the things that I see across the board that is a problem, not only just in our, in our town and in our community, but really in our nation is men who are in their 20s and 30s that are shucking their responsibilities and running from it. They want to go shack up with a girl and get her pregnant, but they don't want to be a dad. They want to go, they want to have a good job that pays a lot of money, but when the pressure gets big in the job, they want to bail. They don't want to stick in and take responsibility of where they're at. I don't know if y'all remember in 2012, there was a, there was a ship called the uh, Costa Concordia, it was a ship. It was a captain by the name of Captain Chitino. He was at the Tusca uh, in Italy. He, he dr drove this cruise ship, 4,000 people on this ship. He drove this ship too close to the shore, ended up hitting the shoreline, hitting the, a rock bed, and ended up taking on water. And, and, and here's the thing that I found out about. I was telling our men this, that as the people were exiting off of the ship, 4,000 people off the ship, the captain got off the ship before everybody else did. The Coast Guard had to go track him down. They arrested him and put him back on the ship and said, you can't get off till everybody else does. 
That ship, 33 people died on that ship. When they went in and did the investigation after, they found out that the reason that the ship was so close to the shore was because the captain's girlfriend was on the shore and he told her he would swing it on by so he could honk the horn at her. He was arrested, put in jail for 16 years because 33 people died and he had gotten off the boat when everybody else did. He got two more years because he'd gotten off. And, and I'm telling you right now, leadership is you stay on the ship. Even Think about this. It was his decision for what caused the wreck and it was his decision to bail when he, everybody needed him. So we're going to take responsibility for ourselves. And secondly, we're going to take responsibility for our family. We're going to take some responsibility for our family. As husbands, we're going to take responsibility for our marriages. We're not going to get up in the morning and go like, are we going to church? No, you're going to get up and you're going to go, hey, baby, listen. Hey, everybody get up. Let's go. We're going to church. Guys, that's our role. Talking to all, come on, wives, can I talk to the men real quick? Is that okay? Oh, no? Okay. All right. So. She's like, I don't know. (laughs) Guys, that's our role. And I'm not trying to be harsh on you in any regards. I'm just telling you what your role is. I'm not calling you out. I'm calling you up to it. Let's be the men of God God's called us to be for our families. Let's, when a tragedy hits, that we say, guys, let's pray. Let's be, when Sunday rolls around, that we're the first to get up and say, let's go, guys. Let's get this going. Come on. If you're the one that's dragging, you're going to set the tone for everything else. As men, as, as spouses, if you're in here and you're single, if you're a single woman that's raising kids, you're, you're doing the best that you can. You're taking responsibility for it. And I'm sorry for whoever that guy is that left you that way. He shouldn't have. The problem is because he didn't take responsibility not only for his family, he didn't take responsibility for himself. And he couldn't lead himself, so that's why he couldn't lead you. Come on, OSC, we're going to raise up some men and some women and some parents that love Jesus. They're going to take responsibility for themselves and their family. Amen. Listen, I, I know this ain't popular preaching, but I'm not trying to get your approval anyways. Because God's called us as a church to raise up strong families. And listen, strong families will produce strong cities. But if you back it up, a strong city gets strong uh, families. And strong families come from strong marriages, which is what we dealt with last week. But strong marriages come from strong men. And so we're going to begin to continue to walk through this. We're going to take care of the responsibilities for ourselves, take responsibility for our family. Here's number three, take responsibility for your church. There's a reason why we, we sell shirts that say, I love my church. Notice it doesn't say, I love OSC or I love the church. It says, I love my church because we want you to take ownership of this church. This isn't. Pastor Josh's church or Lindsay's or Miss Tracy or Pastor. This isn't our church. This is your church. This is our church. This is my church. Come on, y'all with me? And when you take responsibility for something, it changes the way everything, how you interact with it. Come on, when you go over to a guest house, do you do any dishes at your guest house? Yeah, <laughs> they're terrible hosting. <laughs> hey, you're cleaning my kitchen. Thank you. I just needed to relax. All right. So. No, you don't. If you, you need new friends, if that's the case. Um, no, you don't. But when it's your house and it's your kids and they come in and you go, that's your trash. <laughs> you don't pick up. Your, let me, let me show you two ways. You know, when it's your church, here's how, you know, if this church is your church, you sacrifice and you serve, you sacrifice. Let me put it, let, let me put it in J town version. You pray and you pay. You pray for it. And, and not pay in just in money-wise. You pay 
by giving your life, by helping, by, by, by serving alongside people, by this is my church, I'm going to take responsibility. I see that trash, that's my trash. I'm gonna, come on, y'all with me here? This is us. This is us. We do this together. So we take responsibility for yourself, for your family, for your church. Here's your last one. Take responsibility for your community. For your community. Pastor Jacob said this for years, and now Pastor Bubba says this for years, and so you've probably heard this all the time. We believe that the three greatest obstacles that we face in the cities in Louisiana is pride, prejudice, and poverty. Pride, prejudice, and poverty. Sunday morning, sadly, is the most segregated day of the week. You got black churches, you got white churches, you got north churches, south churches, you got, you got all this division that's going on. Come on, we're not going to have a black church or a white church. We're going to be a heaven church because we don't want to look like heaven in this place. And the only color that we see is red, and that is the color of Jesus in this place. Amen. Come on, and listen. I'm going to tell all my white honky people in here, if you don't love black people, you're in the wrong church. You in the wrong, listen, and let me tell you, if you blacking in here, welcome home. Welcome home. Come on, that's my people right there. I, I got, we got like two Mexicans up in here. I need to get some more Mexican people up in here so I can feel a little close. But listen, I want this church to look like heaven. Our city is 30% African American, 60%, 59% white, and 1% mix of things. Um, and we got all the Asians already in here. We got all the... We've got Filipinos, we got, them, we got them all. We want our church to look like our city. And if you have a problem with that, there's a lot of other churches that are a white church or a black church. But we're going to be a people church because we love Jesus and we love people. I'm just, I'm just letting you know where we're going. And if you have a problem with that, I'm sorry. But we, this, is, this is the type of church that, that we want to be a part of, and, and we want to tackle pride. We want to tackle prejudice. We want to tackle poverty in a big way. I love watching football. I mean, uh, I love watching sports in general. I, I was watching basketball yesterday, and I love watching basketball. I love watching old school basketball when, when it was like really real basketball. Like, how, come on, how many MJ, any, any MJ fans in here? Come on, when it was like, when it was like Larry Bird. Come on. The Great White Hope. I'm okay. It was this. Magic Johnson. I mean, we got some good, just some old school players that just, I love that. And when the the game came down to the last final quarter, one shot left, five seconds, and it's the Chicago Bulls, and they're sitting around that corner, uh, that that huddle, there's one guy that's getting that ball, you know? One guy. And everybody on the other team knows we can just put five on Michael Jordan, all five guys on Michael Jordan, because Michael Jordan is taking the shot. And he'll sit around that circle and say, just give me the ball. Just give me the ball. Just get out of the way and give me the ball. And, and you saw most of his career was that, him taking game-winning shots. Did he make all of them? No, he actually missed more than he made. I, here's the question that I want to pose to us as a church. Who wants the ball? Are we going to be a church that says, God, in this community, give us the ball. Amen. Give OSC, the ball. We want the ball. I want the, are we going to make every shot? No. We're going to do everything right? No. But listen, I want to be the church that's known for taking some risk, and we want to take the ball. And God, if you'll trust us with us, we'll do everything we can to do what you've called us to do. I am preaching way better than you white people are saying anything to me. 
Come on, who wants the ball? Who wants the ball? God is looking for people he can give the ball to. We don't want the ball because we're comfortable. We don't want the ball because we're complacent. Because meaning if I got to take the ball, that means I've got to put myself out there. I've got to take a risk. That means I might fail. Yeah, you might. But you might also succeed. And you fail at 100% of the shots that you don't take. So we're going to take responsibility. Here's your number two. We're going to start small. We're going to start small. You want to you awaken that adventure inside of you? You've got to take responsibility, but you've got to start small. Look at Zechariah. Zechariah uh, chapter 4 verse 10 says, Do not despise these small beginnings. Small beginnings. For the Lord rejoices to see the work. What? What's that word? He loves to see the work begin. Notice it doesn't say he loves to see the work end. Because I don't know if we ever even will get to an end. It might be when Jesus shows up. The great thing that Jesus loves the most, though, that he celebrates the most, is small beginnings and the work beginning. Just starting, starting small. Nehemiah chapter 2 now. So he's got this burden. He knows, I've got to do something. And so he says, okay, well, the first thing I've got to do, I've got to go talk to the king. I've got to get out of this job. Because I've got another job I feel like God's called me to do. And it says, so he goes and he, and he gets before the king. And the king asks him, hey, man, how can I help you? Come on, how many know that was an answer to prayer? The king was asking him, how can I help you? He didn't even ask the king. The king came to him and said, how can I? And he says, with a prayer to the God of heaven. So in that moment, the king says, man, how can I help you? And he goes, God, help me here. Help me to ask the right thing. This is what he says. If it pleases the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Now watch this. The king with the queen sitting right beside him asked, how long will you be gone and will you return? And after I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. What's interesting is that he didn't know the details and how they would play out. Have you ever noticed when God calls you to take a step and do something, he doesn't give you all the details? How many know it would be nice if he would give the details? He, don't, he just don't give the details. He says, I want you to go do that. And you're like, okay, when? He's like, I want you to go do it right now. Okay, how? And he doesn't say anything. You're like, God, what's going on? All he told you was to go do it. He's not going to tell you how. He's not going to tell you how long. He's not going to tell you where. He, a lot of times he just wants you to take that first step. I want you to write this down. You ready? Write this down. You don't have to have faith to finish. You just got to have faith to start. You don't have to have faith to finish. You just got to have faith to start. God doesn't despise small beginnings. He celebrates when the work begins. You don't got to have the faith to finish. God's not looking for you to have enough faith to finish it at the end. He's wanting you to have the faith to start it right now. Look at what St. Francis Assisi said. St. Francis Assisi, this is what he said. He said, start doing what's necessary, then what's possible and suddenly you're doing the impossible. But you don't get to this without doing this. We, we look at the things that God's called us to do, or maybe there's a burden for something, and we go, there's no way, God. I, I just don't even see how I can do that. And God's going, no, no, no. Stop looking at the finish line, and let's just start at the starting line. Let's just start somewhere. I, I wish we could go back, do a... Do a do a back to the future. Come on, any back to the future fans in here? I wish we had a DeLorean. We could get up all up. Everybody gets in. Everybody get in the DeLorean. Let's go. We get in this DeLorean and put January 2000 
and go back to the beginning of how this church started. And I wish because you would, there would be so much perspective for you to see where we began. Because you would celebrate more of where we are now even more because you would see that it all started small. It all started with Pastor Jacob, Pastor Bubba doing a men's Bible study here, just having a heart for this area. Then, of course, Pastor Bubba's sitting down with Pastor Jacob and Pastor Jacob pretty much saying, you the man, told Miss Tracy, Pastor Bubba, you guys, y'all can do this. And we had the entire church in a green, nasty 15-passenger van. It was nasty. (laughs) Think about this. Our entire church was in a van down by the river. All right, so... Any other plugs in there? Okay, so. In a van. And it started, Pastor Bob and Miss Tracy, starting just coming to the Holiday Inn to set up for us to have children's church in hotel rooms. I don't know what we were thinking, but to just, just try to love people. Just to try to love people. And just to just be a church that's just going to love the community and be there and just believe for big things. But it all starts small. It starts with somebody just going, I'm in. Give me the ball. I'll take it. You would not be sitting in this room if they didn't say, give me the ball. I wouldn't be sitting in this room if they didn't say, give me the ball. Everything that you see that's successful all started with something starting small. Hey, listen, I remember my journey. I was raised in the Lord But my real faith journey started my junior year when I felt an impression from God to start a Bible study at my school. I went to a private school. Our private school was full of people who knew everything and did nothing. And and, and and it it bothered me because everybody's a know-it-all. They know all these scriptures, but they didn't live it. And I remember my junior year and God saying, you need to do this. And I was like, God, I don't want to do these people. I got to... They're so, they know more than I do, and, and God just kept pushing on me, pushing on me. Put, you need to do a Bible study. And so my junior year, I did a Bible study with kids in my, that were in my class or at my school, and that's where it started. And now I look back, and I see that was the beginning of me learning how to read the Bible. It was the beginning of me learning how to teach. And from there, I moved to Louisiana, became an intern. Then that internship led to being here at OSC in 2000, which then led to me being a youth pastor, which then led to me being an executive pastor, which then led to me being the kids pastor for a season, which then led to me being a lead pastor here. Come on. It did not start from here. It started back with doing a Bible study for my school over 19 years ago. Are y'all with me here? We, I want you to, I want you to hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying think small. I'm saying start small, dream big, but start small. Come on, we got big dreams here at this church. Big dreams. But everything begins with starting small. Just start where you are. Hey, I'm going to tell you right now, I talk to so many people here, and they'll, they'll say things like, man, my life has totally changed. Man, I'm just, man, my marriage has changed. My family's changed. Man, you just wouldn't believe. And it's funny because I, as I talk with them, I say, man, you remember the first day you came? The first, for some of you, your start small was just showing up here for the first time. That was, that was, the, start, that was the, the one step of starting small. Come on. Our, our beginning of starting small for our church was believing for a building that cost a little over $100,000. We're now building a kid's facility that's five times that. But we couldn't have done that at that stage. 
That stage was the starting small. David faces the bear. Then he faces the lion. Then he faces Goliath. Then he becomes the king. It all started with just being a shepherd and starting small. Are y'all with me? Don't despise small beginnings. Wherever you are right now, do not despise those small beginnings. Write this down. Don't let the start stop you. Don't let the start stop you. You never finish something you don't start. So we got to start small. Start, start somewhere. I don't know what that is for you, but you got to start it. Here's number three and our last one. Let's take a step. Take a step. So we're going to, we're going to be a people that, that take responsibility for where we are, for our family, for our church, for our community. We're going we're gonna to start small. We're not going to let the start stop us. We're going to start, and then we're going to take a step. So Nehemiah 2, at the, at the end of this, so now that he's, he's got the permission of the king, the king says, yes, you have my blessing. Go. I'll give you everything that you need to do this job. He now gathers all of the people, all of the leaders, all of the Jewish leaders, and he gathers them together. And this is what he says to all these leaders. All right, guys, you know, we all in trouble here. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been destroyed. Come on, how many know that's not like a real pick-me-up type of speech? It's bad, guys. It's real bad. But let us. He realizes, we'll talk about this next week. He realizes that he couldn't do it alone, though. He didn't say, okay, I'm going to go do this. He said, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And come on, here's the greater thing. Let's end this disgrace. Let's just end this disgrace. And this is what he says. Look what he says. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me. He told them, listen, I know God's calling us to do this. God is calling us to do this. And about my conversation with the king. And here's they replied. Yes. Let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. I shared this a couple months ago in, in our first Wednesday service. And this is what I said. I said, before we get saved, when we were living for ourselves, we were saying yes to a lot of things we should have been saying no to. Right? All, come on, how many of you made some decisions before you were saved that you said, I should have said no to that, but I said yes to it. Okay. But here, watch this. But then we get saved, we get in church for a little while, and then we start saying no to things we should be saying yes to. Come on, right? Hey, man, you need, man, let's get involved. We get served. Man, why don't you start a group? Ah, oh, no, no, no. Nah, I'm good. Nah, I'm good. Hey, man, you need to start giving and being a part. Nah, no, no, no. I'm, nah, I'm good. I'm good. Hey, man, why don't you come and join us and help and serve and be a part? No, 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 I'm, I'm good where I, I'm good where And we start saying no to the things that God wants us to say yes to. And this, these guys say, yes, le- yes. You don't even realize what the power is in just saying yes. Just yes. Yes, let's do it. Let's, let's take a step. Watch this. In order for you to step towards your destiny... You're going to have to step away from your security. Some of y'all might need to write that down. You can tweet that, okay? In order for you to step away from your destiny, or step towards your destiny, you're going to have to step away from your security. Your sec- Come on. I don't know what that security is for you. I don't know what that comfort zone is for you. I don't know. What, maybe it's not letting somebody into your marriage, and you've just, oh, we got this, we'll deal with this. And for you to take a step towards a better marriage, you're going to have to step out and 
Share some things. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's, I've been praying. Here's my prayer for this series. I've been praying that some of you in here, you've been wrestling with God about something he's been wanting you to do for so long. And you've been saying, no, 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 no. And my prayer is that through this series, you would be challenged to say, all right, yes, I will do it. Maybe it's start a business. Maybe it's to go back to school. Maybe it's to get counseling for your marriage. Maybe it's to start tithing. Maybe it's to start serving. Maybe it's to actually commit to a relationship already. Maybe it's to, whatever it is, but God has been on you to start something, to do something, and you've been going, no, 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 no. And I'm telling you, God is just waiting for you to say, yes. Yes. Watch this. Your biggest regret, ready? Your biggest regret at the end of your life won't be the things you did. It'll be the things you wish you had done. What what do I mean by this? What I mean by this is it's not going to be, man, I just ruined my life. You know, I made those stupid decisions and I did all that stupid stuff and I shouldn't have done those things. It's not going to be that. It's going to be, I wish I would have I wish I would have. Psychologists actually prove this point. Tom Gilovich and Vicki Medvac are social psychologists. They did a report, a survey across the entire nation, and they found that people who look over the totality of their life, people who look back at all of their life, watch this, inaction regrets, outnumbered action regrets, 84% to 16%. Inaction regrets, I wish I would have done, outnumbered the action regrets of, man, I'm sad I did that. It's going to be people that are laying on their deathbed. It's not going to be, I wish I would have worked more. I wish I'd have made more money. I wish I'd have bought a bigger house. It's going to be, I wish I would have been a man of God God wanted me to be. I wish I would have loved Jesus more. I wish I would have spent more time with my family. I wish I would have stepped out and started that ministry or started that business. Who would have known? I don't know. I wish I would have said yes to whatever that was that was on their heart. And if you know, think about this. If you know you'll regret it, then why would you stay where you are? You can't get to point B if you're not willing to leave point A. I love I mean... Pastor Clyde Keith would always say this, how's it going for you now? I mean, if you're miserable right now and you think that somehow you're not going to be miserable by keep doing the same thing you're already doing, you're the fool. If you want to step into all that God has for you, you're going to have to start small and take a step. How many of you in here love vacations? Any, any vacation lovers? Come on, any vacation lovers in here? Okay. All right, there's a, there's a number of vacations that our family likes to take. We love taking vacations. Um, I, we need one. I'm going to try to take one soon. Um, I, 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 have a couple, I have a couple pictures of some destinations. We'll see if any of y'all would like to go on vacations here. Let me give you, give you the first one. Any of y'all, y'all want to go to this place? Anybody in here? Come on, I'm believing that this is the new OSC beach house. Anybody in here? You got to be on the dream team to get access to it, but come on. Come on, any dream teamers in here? Y'all believe it with me? All right. That's right. Uh, I could just, this is at Holly Beach, by the way. No, I'm joking. <laughs> there ain't no Holly Beach. Uh, anyways, I, my wife loves the beach. 
loves the beach. I, I'm, I tolerate the beach. Um, just because I need to do so. Like if the jet skis, if there's parasailing, I'm in the beach. We're scuba diving with sharks, I'm in the beach, okay? But just to sit down, I can't. Anyways, that's a vacation. Great vacation. It's 40 degrees outside. Let's just keep looking at this for a little bit. <laughs> Here's another one. Um, how many of you would like to go here? Any, any, any mountain, mountain people climbing, camping? Lindsay's like, let's go camping. I'm like, you don't want to do camping. Camping is like real, like a tent. She wants to go RVing. <laughs> that is not camping. That's camping for rich white people. If you want to do real camping, you put it on your back and you leave the car 15 miles behind you and you settle up with the bears in the woods and you go kill something and skin it and eat it. Come on, I mean, that's camping. Right, Mike Jardell? We're going to kill something, all right? I'm all for this. This is actually kind of more my vic- I love the beauty. That's why Lindsay loves going to Colorado. You got, you got the mountains, go, go hiking, little little. Little kayaking, awesome, love it. All right, the next one. This is my wife's place, Disney World. That's not a vacation, by the way. I just want to let you know in here. At the end of the day, people are screaming, and it's not kids; it's parents. Parents are screaming. Why did I do this? If you want to pay a lot of money and lose your mind, Disney. <laughs> Anyways, my wife still wants to go. She loves it. Our family does love Disney. Okay. Here's the reason why I bring all this up. So the beach, the mountains, Disney, you can look at it, you can research it, you can talk about it, you can dream about it, but you will never go on one until you plan it and you put a date on it and a destination. You're never going on one. You're never going on one. Until you just make a decision, all right, April 15th, we're going. We're leaving at the, until you put a date and a time and a where, you ain't going nowhere. And I think there's some people in the Christian walk that know God wants to bring them somewhere. They talk about destiny. They talk about calling. They dream about where it could be. But they just stay right where they're at because they never make a desk of time to, all right, I'm getting plugged in. All right, I'm going through next step. Okay, I'm getting in a life group. Okay, I'm going to step up and start this. I'm, are y'all with me here? You will never finish what you don't start. And I'm just challenging you as your pastor who loves you greatly. Don't just sit. Start. Start small, though. So, man, I... Uh, look, I want to raise, uh, you know, I, I, want, I want to fix my finances. My finances are so jacked up right now. Okay, let's start small. Go through financial peace. Start saving $1,000 in an emergency fund. Maybe, well, what is that? I don't know. What does that look like? Maybe just don't, don't eat out. Just don't eat out. Maybe st- sell something. Begin, just start the sm- small things. Man, I want to lose some weight. Great. When you starting? You got to go take some steps. Hey, that requires real steps. Okay, you got to step and step and step and you got to just keep stepping. You also got to step away from the table. I'm, it's, I mean, it's honest. If you want to start something, start small. Dream big, but start small. Man, I want to love God. Man, I want to be all that God has for me. Great. I want you to. 
So what does that look like tomorrow? Do you have a reading plan? How, are you, are you going to spend time with Jesus? How are you going to spend, do you have a time to spend time with Jesus? How are you going to pray? Are you going to, how are you going to connect with him? Start small. Get a reading plan. Get, download version. Come on, how many have version in here? Anybody, if you don't have version, go download. It's the best Bible app that's out there. They got reading plans everywhere. You got to get into this. This is how it begins. We got to start small. Because you never know what's on the other side of you starting. You never know what's on the other side of your obedience.